Hello and welcome to Let It Be, a podcast about less doing and more being. This is episode 14. episode is in response to a listener question and damned if I can find the tweet from that listener so I can give her a proper shout out but if she's listening she'll know who she is um she tweeted us in response to our episode on saying no I believe um where we talked about this need that many of us have to present this face to the world that we've got it all together even when we don't so we're pretending effectively pretending we're coping when we're not really um so i know where that behavior comes from in me but what drives it in you hmm it's a really really good and uncomfortable question. <laughs> <Tell me laughs> because about it. <laughs> i think for me it's ego like if i'm being completely honest it comes from um my my egocentric desire to look like I've got my shit together. Um, and to me, one of the worst things I used to feel that I could do, uh, you know, as a mother, as a woman, as a human, would was to, to not cope. You know, if, if it appeared to other people that I was not coping, then I was weak, you know, I was yeah. failing, I, I couldn't. I couldn't deal with difficulty. I wasn't resilient, you know. I, and for what it's worth, I, I don't believe that anymore, but I, I absolutely used to. And that was why I found myself continuing to sweep under the carpet all of my, all, you know, all of the, the issues, all of the things that I was struggling with, all of the, the cries for help that I, I could have, you know, let out. I didn't because I did not want to appear as though I wasn't coping. I, I come from a long line of women who <laughs> of just copers. Yeah, they are. They're just copers, and like they they call themselves copers. They label themselves copers, and they just get stuff done, and they don't complain much about it. They don't fuss about it. They're just they're quite stoic about it. And for me, for a long time, I always held that one example up as the only way to succeed at living. You know, kicking yeah. goals if. You can get all this stuff done and still have everything together. And it took me like a breakdown to realize that that's not uh, that's not great for me. Um, I think there's there's benefits to being stoic about things, but there are massive drawbacks at keeping everything locked up and suffering in silence as well. Uh, so I've just had to learn that that being not okay is okay. Like I said to my husband on the weekend, I was in a really weird, not great headspace for a few days. And yep. I just said to him, like, I'm not okay. And just even saying that was like a, a, a relief because it's okay to not be okay. Uh, and I think, yeah, I, I think it, it can be really damaging to hold on to this idea that not coping is a failure. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, I know... I'm the same. So my behavior with regards to being a coper that landed me in a breakdown as well certainly came from ego because that was my personal brand. Like my whole personal brand was someone who had their shit together and it was a real core part of my identity. So, you know, this is going back six years, but, you know, at the time I was running a business, had just had a brand new baby 
we were building a house. Um, so I was dealing with, you know, all the stuff that goes on with that. Um, I was running a household. Um, and I just felt this need that I had to not only be across all of this stuff, but I had to be doing it with a smile on my face as well. And, you know, I really thrived on people saying to me, wow, I just don't know how you're doing all of this with a brand new baby. And it was kind of like the more that people said that, the more I had to live up to that expectation. And it was not just an external expectation, it was an internal expectation as well. So, you know, I was very, very much not coping during that time. I was in a terrible, terrible mental place um, yet. Um, And I got to the point where things got so bad that I was, you know, I think I've mentioned this before on this show where I actually got to the point of thinking, I just don't want to be here on this earth anymore. It would be so much easier for everybody who loves me that if I wasn't here, I'm just a drag on the world. Um, That's how bad it got. And um, I wrote about it in a a kind of a book that I released on only on my website later on. And every single person who knew me bar my husband was just shocked because I had absolutely no idea that this was going on in my head. Like they had no idea how bad things were. So this is how good I got at presenting this face to the world of, yeah, I've totally got my shit together. Um, But at the same time, literally dying inside, I was just a shell of the person that, you know, that I was and that I really wanted to be. And um, same as you, I look back at that time with a great, great deal of discomfort because I, I, of anger at myself for like how did you let things get so bad like that's so ridiculous but I think when you're in it you just it's also a coping is a coping mechanism do you find so you know so when you're under pressure you go with what you know and what you know is that if it's a core part of your identity that you're someone who copes then you fall back into coping as a coping mechanism and then it's a very very vicious cycle so I kind of compare and contrast that time in my life to, you know, fast forward kind of four years when um, I had my second child and then I got postnatal depression um, and I, I just picked up so much more quickly that I wasn't coping and then when I figured out I wasn't coping, like I went to the doctor, like I would never have done that six years ago but I was like wow I'm not coping like what I'm feeling here is not normal I'm really struggling to hold it together and do the thing you know the the things that are part of my normal day so I went to the doctor and said like I think this might be going on and so and there was such a so the doctor then you know gave me a little test to do said yeah I think you've got postnatal depression here's um, an action plan for how we're going to tackle this. And it was just such a relief to, first of all, admit that I wasn't coping, such a relief to then get help. And then what I did from there was then I also told people. So if someone said to me, you know, I didn't just kind of broadcast it to the world, hey, I've got personal depression, cut me some slack. Um, it was just if somebody said to me, how are you going or, um, you know, or even people from a work point of view who asked me to do stuff because I had to kind of dial back on a lot of work stuff at that time. So when people asked, you know, why are you doing this or are you available to do this, I kind of said to them, 
look, I, I can't right now because this is what's going on and da-da-da. And people were so supportive and it was such a huge weight off my shoulders because when people know, they can support you. Mm-hmm. But like when you're, you know, so that's why I just look back at that six-year ago me and I just want to kind of slap her because I'm like, if people just knew what was going on, they could have helped, but you just didn't let anybody see. You just refused to let anybody see that you were literally dying inside. And, yeah, I, yeah, I think you're, you're in agreement with this. That Sometimes we have to go through these things to kind of live and learn, but I wish we didn't have to live and learn such the hard way. <laughs> I know. It's, it's interesting because I'm I, strangely grateful for, for that period for me, which was very similar to your kind of experience. Um, but yeah, it would be nice that we, if we didn't have to go through and, and hurt other people during the process too, you know, that was, that's, yeah. kind of, I don't, I don't have a lot of regrets, but that, that's one of them. Uh, but it has led me here, you know, and I know we've got yeah. an episode planned in the future where we kind of talk about the idea of uncomfortable things leading to good things. Uh, but that's very much been my experience. One thing that you were talking about and I'm right on board with is, being open about it I yeah think it does a lot it does a, a few different things you know once I, I personally started talking to people how and telling them you know I'm, I'm not okay and that was pretty much my my um you know my, my cry for help when I was at my absolute worst was I think a phone call to my mum Ben was at work and I'm like I'm not okay you know and that yeah. meant a lot like that was a huge thing for me to to say and just that moment of shining a light on the fact that like I'm crumbling here was a huge turning point. But beyond that, talking to people about it. And again, not like same as you, not, I didn't wear it as a badge of honor or, you know, anything like that. It was just something that I spoke to people about. And I had some really interesting reactions because, you know, a lot of people were incredibly supportive, of course. And then there were quite a few people sort of saying, Oh, really? I wouldn't have expected that of you. I didn't expect that you oh, were, were struggling with that. And then, you know, the, the final kind of group of reactions was really interesting. And it was um, one person in particular who's like, oh, I, I kind of always thought that postnatal depression was bullshit. But now oh. that, um, yeah, like, awesome. Um, he said, but, you know, now that you, you're saying that this is what you've got, like, I, you know, I believe you. And if you've gone to pieces and it must be really bad, I'm like, that's a that's a strange reaction. Yeah, it's <laughs> as backhanded a compliment. Yeah, like, but you know the 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 overall reaction when I was being just open about it, if people if if the conversation was happening, you know, was kind of one of relief. And so often people would say to me, women particularly would say to me, "Oh God, me too." Uh, you know, and still now my kids are both at school and I still talk about it. If, you know, there's a yep. lots of mums at school who maybe have younger kids or talk about, uh, you know, if they're pregnant and if they're concerned or whatever, like they're tired, they're struggling. I'm always happy to talk about it. And I think that there's a real power in being open because it also removes one of the other problems, I think, and the, one of the other reasons why we we cling on to this idea of coping, which is comparisons. And if no one's telling the truth about how they're feeling, then how the hell are we supposed to uh, know where we stand on that spectrum of being okay and being normal? You oh, know, so yes. I'm a huge <laughs> believer in just 
being open. Like don't, you don't have to air all of your dirty laundry all of all at once or, you know, go into intimate detail about what you're, you're struggling with, but just be open with the fact that bloody hell, this is hard, or I'm really struggling with this, or this is where I'm getting help, you know? And I think that alone would alleviate so much um, stress and isolation. Because there's also there's there's a shame element to it as well, which I think comes ties in with the comparison thing, and that because you know so certainly from a comparison point of view, like we are forced, we have been force fed for years images by uh, mass media of women in particular having it all together. Mm-hmm. So it's the celebrity mum who looks amazing, got her you know pre baby body back in two weeks, and her kids look immaculate, and she looks immaculate, and she lives in this immaculate home, and and so, and then social media is kind of taking that next level because now it's not just celebrity mums who we're seeing in this way. We're seeing all our friends and or, or people that we know vaguely in this way as well. Because you know, I think there's a lot of criticism that people only show the shiny parts of their life on social media. But I think I'm, I only show the shiny parts of my life on social media mainly because I don't want to bring people down. So yeah, I'm I don't not, want to. You know, I don't want to show people my dirty toilet. Yeah. Or my laundry or you know, my That's horrible it. day yeah i go on social media t- to kind of be happy so i kind of do like seeing the shiny parts of people's lives it's you know the, the only time that that becomes a bad thing is when we assume make the assumption that that's how people's lives are in their entirety and uh, you know i know i still do it I've, I've done it i think when i started blogging um certainly in the blogging world you can Again, it's the same kind of thing. We tend to only share the positives and we tend to build stories for people based on what they share on their blog. And, of course, no one's sharing every single element of their life on their blog. Um, So we then fill in the gaps around what they're sharing on their blog. And we don't generally fill in the gaps with reality. We fill in the gaps with, you know, the most – with what we we think that things are so much better than they are. And it's only – in recent years where people have kind of shown me, like I've gotten to know people better, bloggers that previously were just people I read about on their websites, I've gotten to know them better and I know what their real life looks like. Um, And it's not like anybody's being dishonest. They're just not sharing every last little bit of their lives. And I know the difference between what I see on social media for people and what I know is going on in their real life. So I've learned to be a little bit more discerning and not go, oh, she's just got it all going on because I know that no one does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that this is um, something I've had to learn the hard way of, of, you know, of assuming these things about people and then finding out that reality is a completely different thing. Um, and I think that's something a lot of people still aren't doing is we're still looking at social media in the much the same way as we look at celebrity lives in magazines and we think that what we're, you know, that airbrushed, photoshopped, beautifully lit in designer clothes photo that we're seeing in the magazine is how this person always looks when in fact actually they don't even ever look like that. Um, Exactly. That's not really them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just... So what, I'm trying to think, well, I lost my train of thought a little bit, but it's the whole comparison thing and what the comparison thing then leads to is it kind of leads to a sense of shame, I feel, that if our lives are not the same as these perceived lives that we have people, what we see people having, so then because we're feeling shame, we start hiding things. Yes. And this is when things get very unuseful. So then when you flip, you know, flip that around and you go, 
you know, screw shame. Like this is how it is. Um, I can, I know I can help people by sharing this story. And then you share your story about postnatal depression. And of course, I tend to share what I don't share while I'm in the middle of something because no, I haven't. Yeah, you know, there are some people who do that, and and, and good on them. Um, but I'm someone that tends to share once I've fully processed and been through something. Um, <clears throat> so once I kind of got through to the other side of postnatal depression I shared about it on my blog and of course you know I got those um, responses of thank you so much for sharing about this because it's just something people don't talk about and the same with I've written for Mamma Mia before about um, miss you know I've had four miscarriages and I wrote about one of those and that's another thing that you know this whole shame thing keeps us from sharing and I guess that's something I'd love people to take home from this podcast today is that uh, and obviously Brené Brown's done heaps and heaps of writing and speaking on this topic, but we need to, you know, move on from shame. We we need to stop attaching shame to things that have happened to us that are not, you know, we've not gone out and done something bad here. Like we're not bad people for not coping. So therefore, why are we feeling shame about it? And if we're able to then move on from that shame and then share share our real experience with people then we create really amazing connections with people when we're willing to do that and people are so relieved when we do but we're always so relieved to hear that someone who we thought had their shit together does a human yeah it's like a human (laughs) being with strengths and and weaknesses you know it sounds mean but as you say like that it shows that yeah like we're all in this and I, I don't know like do you have you ever found out that someone you thought was amazing and had their shit together and then you find out that they don't like if it, does that disappoint you in that person no no <laughs> no not, like, not at all if anything I'm like oh thank goodness that like, I can see you as there's the human being I understand you to be you know it's uh, and not that anyone owes that to me that's but yeah. it's just it's always enlightening and kind of deepens my understanding of whoever this person is um that they are a real a real human living a real life and no one's life and this is like a very basic understanding but no one's life looks like it does on the surface just nobody you just have we have no idea about that the battles people face and that's that's fine but i think you made a really uh a really interesting point about making that distinction between real life and what maybe your friends share with you, uh, your family, that kind of stuff, and social media. I I think there's a lot of crossover and confusion between the two sometimes Mm. and people are thinking that these, you know, hashtag authentic um, (laughs) photos on Instagram, which in some cases absolutely are, but in other cases, like they're still curated, you know. Someone yeah, has everything's gone through. curated. Exactly. Everything. Like no, none of us snaps one selfie of ourselves and puts that on social media. I defy anybody to say uh, that they do that. Like Just a one-take so, wonder. Yeah. Uh, who, <laughs> who takes one photo and then puts that up? Nobody. <laughs> um, you know, t- uh, um, tweet us if you do that, please. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> um, you could just be like me and just refuse to. Oh yeah, take selfies. (laughs) Yeah, and that's it. I mean, I don't really take selfies, but on the odd occasion that I do, damn if I'm not taking like five or six at the very minimum, and then I'm sharing the nicest one of myself because that's, you know, I'm as vain as the next person. If I have the choice between sharing a nice picture of myself and a shit picture of myself, (laughs) which one am I going to choose? I don't know. So this is a thing. Like I think we do have to remember. 
everything is curated and that's not a bad thing um, necessarily uh, but we just need to be really aware of it. So don't look at the curation that everyone's doing and think that that is the complete picture because it just, as you say, absolutely, absolutely hilarious. I have been shocked to find out the things that, you know, shocked and a, and a little bit ashamed of myself because, you know, I'll look at the person, you know, a friend who's lost heaps of weight. And I'm, this is a, not a true story. I'm just saying it <laughs> just in case anyone thinks I'm talking about them. Um, but, you know, I'll she look is. at a friend She's <laughs> who's lost heaps of weight. And then you find out that, that the reason they've lost so much weight is because their marriage has broken down and, like, you know, it's when you find out about these things that you go, oh, my God, like I had no idea and then you feel so stupid for coveting this thing that they had and, and thinking that that thing that they've got is kind of like the sum of their whole life with which, you know, it just definitely isn't. So kind of back to the topic of not coping, which is just that's just a shiny thing that we put on our own lives when we're not coping is to put on this facade of not nah, totally got it all together. Like, you know, here's my beautiful meal for my family and here's my beautifully tidy house. And, and it's a bit of a control freak thing that, you know, the worst things are the more kind of in control of everything you want to be and you want to see, which just makes everything worse. So if that's making everything worse, like what, what's going to make this better? Like what can we tell people today that will, if they're not coping, what do we want them to do when they stop listening to their podcast, this podcast? I mean, first, I guess, just acknowledge the fact that, that you're not feeling like that you're not okay. You know, I don't feel okay. Uh, and then just talk to someone about it. Just that act of opening your mouth and bringing someone into that circle of how you're feeling can be incredibly um, like uplifting almost. Yeah, think- and unburdening as yes. well. Like, yes. oh. I can't just, even tell you the, like, the, the weight that comes off your shoulder when you just tell one other person, like, you know, and even if that person's your partner because, mm-hmm. like, you know, even your partner can see that you're struggling but, one, they probably don't know what to do because, you, you know, I don't know about other people but certainly the, the less I'm coping, the more I withdraw into myself and I become very unapproachable. So, or you, you know, my, my partner for a long time, all he could do was kind of give me a hug but he didn't know what was going on in my head or he certainly didn't know what he could do. So just kind of even admitting it to them and, and, and in words because it's – I think the other thing is we kind of think people are mind readers. Definitely. Um, and we kind of especially expect our partners to be able to know what's going on in our minds when half the time we don't know what's going on in our minds, so why should they? So I just think, yeah, just tell somebody and certainly don't expect your partner to, to yeah, to be a mind reader and just know. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And I think the other, the other thing um, to, to kind of keep in mind is it's, it's okay to just be okay like, that's fine. Yes. You know, it doesn't need to be, uh, you know, you, uh, top of the world, best in show, like on the top <laughs> of your game all the time, living an extraordinary kind of life. It's okay to just be okay. Like that's that's wonderful. A quiet life, an ordinary life, just a content kind of life is is also fine. You know, and I think the uh, the flip side of this not coping is, well, but just because I'm content and living a quietly happy, you know, routine sort of life, is that okay? You know, of course it's okay. And I think be happy with, with that kind of life as well. So it's okay to be not okay 
and to talk to someone about that. And I would always encourage someone to, to do that. But it's also okay to just be okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let It Be. If you want to connect with Kelly or myself, you can find us on social media. Kelly is at Kelly Exeter on Twitter. And on Facebook, if you search for A Life Less Frantic, you will find her there. And on uh, Twitter, I'm at Brooke McCallery. And on Facebook, I'm at Slow Your Home. And uh, if you wanted to either reach out to us on Twitter, you can use hashtag Let It Be Pod. Or uh, head over to letitbe.fm and you can find our show notes and other information about the show. And finally, if you wanted or felt, you know, the desire to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, that would be wonderful. And, um, you know, we, we read them all and we appreciate you taking the time to listen and then uh, tell us what you think. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, podcast.